Michael Moore and Ryan Lewis, in their song, Same Love, reminds us all, whatever God you believe in, we come from the same one. Strip away the fear. Underneath it's all the same love. Regardless of your sexual orientation, your race, or your origin, we all come from the same God. Those of us at Solutions to Violence and our guest today, Chris Hartman, believe as Macamore and Ryan Lewis, we all come from the same love. Hello, folks. We are Solutions to Violence. We're happy you could join us today. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMP LP 106.5 FM. Solutions to Violence is a program of and sponsored by Forward Radio. Forward Radio is an affiliate of the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational program. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. We'd like for you to share your views by contacting us at solutionstoviolence18 at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. So our guest today is Chris Hartman. Chris Hartman is the first director of Kentucky's Fairness Campaign. In the past several years, he has helped increase the number of Kentucky municipalities with anti-discrimination LGBTQ fairness ordinance from 3 to 20. Chris previously served as Congressman John Yarmus, campaign press secretary, an AmeriCorps VISTA volunteer in St. Louis, and the Philadelphia director of the Democratic National Committee Open Air Grassroots Campaign in 2004. Presidential election. He holds an MA in drama from Washington University in St. Louis. Chris currently serves on the board of the National Equality Federation and as chair of the Louisville Metro Landmarks Commission. He was named the Louisville Convention and Visitors Bureau 2017 Partner of the Year is a former Community Foundation of Louisville, Alden Fellow, and an LGBTQ fellow of the Rockwood Leadership Institute. He formerly toured the nation, performing Shakespeare for youth, and continues to improvise. The Louisville Courier-Journal named Chris Hartman as one of its, quote, Courier-Journal's 20 to watch in 2020. Chris Hartman, welcome to Solutions to Balance. Well, thank you, thank you. That's, uh, everybody's got my full full history now, so no need we to do, do any Googling. Yeah. Chris, tell us about the Fairness Campaign. What's its mm-hmm. purpose and, and when did it start? Sure. Great to be with you all again. Always love being with Jim and James here. The Fairness Campaign was founded in 1991. Uh, a lot of people think that I founded it uh, because I was hired as the first executive director, but I was in middle school when the Fairness Campaign was first founded to do its work to advance LGBTQ civil rights laws in Louisville. Louisville, and now that we are statewide, all of Kentucky, and to work to dismantle systemic racism. We really feel that racial justice is at the core of so many injustices uh, in America, and that as as long as one form of prejudice persists, that no form of prejudice is ever going to desist. So we see the work of dismantling racism as integral to the work for LGBTQ and queer rights overall. We were really founded with a goal in mind to get a civil rights law, what we would call a fairness ordinance, passed in the city of Louisville, which uh, happened. Uh, Louisville became the first city to pass any sort of LGBTQ discrimination protections in the state. In January of 1999, Dave Armstrong, then mayor, signed that uh, into law. Shortly thereafter, Lexington uh, became city number two, and they passed a more comprehensive ordinance, which included not just employment, which Louisville's did, but also housing and public accommodations, discrimination protections. And then we started seeing a bit of a domino effect, uh, though it took a lot of time 
time. Uh, Covington passed an ordinance similarly. Henderson passed one, but then repealed it uh, shortly thereafter. But starting in 2013, we really got the momentum moving again. Tiny Appalachian town called Vico uh, passed a fairness ordinance, first city in 10 years to do it. Um, they gained a lot of national prominence when Stephen Colbert flew his camera crew into town. And that was really the, the pebble that loosed the boulder that started the landslide. And we started seeing Frankfurt, our state's capital, Kim Davis's hometown of Moorhead passed fairness ordinances. The small town of Midway uh, did after that. Then we saw Danville and Paducah. And all in all now, uh, after last year, where we practically doubled the number of cities with fairness ordinances and added our first county outside of Jefferson and Fayette, which is Woodford County, we've got 20 municipalities now that have full LGBTQ fairness ordinances. We've got two cities that have partial fairness ordinances. That would be Ashland. And then most recently, the city of Cynthiana uh, passed housing and public accommodations protections because now we do have workplace protections all across America with the Supreme Court decision, which I imagine we'll be chatting about. But, you know, that's a lot of the goal of the fairness campaign is to get those civil rights laws passed, really now also to stop bad legislation. We are continually under attack in the state capitol in Frankfurt. I imagine we'll chat about some of those attacks here, too. We are, you know, putting up the barrier in the state capitol to ward off those bad bills. And in service to that, we also have a political action committee where we endorse candidates that are running for elected office. And, uh, you know, we are attempting to create, um, you know, a coalition of allies in the state capital and in city governments across the state uh, that will advance LGBTQ civil rights laws and other social justice initiatives. So that's a little bit of the work that the Fairness Campaign is doing. Yeah. So prejudice is really something that accompanies uh, LGBTQ, the LGBTQ people. Um, So what advice would you give to one who is looking for some answers into their questions about LGBTQ, uh, the confusion that they may have or discrimination. Sure. Well, depending on the types of resources folks are looking for, there are a lot of different places to go. For folks who are just coming out of the closet, um, who are thinking about coming out or who are struggling with their identity, maybe they don't know if they're LGBTQ. You know, a lot of young people, a lot of old people are sort of questioning their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, Places like PFLAG, Parents and Friends of LGBTQ People, have been around since the 70s. I've been doing great work to provide support for folks who are coming out. Uh, But then also to provide support for family and friends of people who are coming out. Um, You know, that's a place where a lot of parents who are struggling with their teen's identity go to seek some answers and solutions. For a young person that's thinking about coming out, another great local resource is the Louisville Youth Group. LYG. Uh, They've been around longer than the Fairness Campaign has. They actually used to meet out of the Fairness Campaign's office. And I, I, the first time I was at the Fairness Campaign was in 1997 as a recently out uh, gay teenager going to a Louisville youth group meeting. So they've been around providing that type of safe space and support for Louisville's queer youth for 30 years. And they're still going strong. They still meet. Now, of course, during the pandemic, I think a lot of it's virtual, but there's a weekly support group meeting for LGBTQ youth. There's also a transgender specific support group meeting for trans and gender non-binary, gender non-conforming youth. And so, you know, a lot of great resources for folks who are are looking at becoming a part of the community uh, in terms of being out and open uh, and just sort of getting that information. Of course, national organizations like the Trevor Project is huge because a lot of LGBTQ youth in particular, but LGBTQ folks of any age, unfortunately, are 
are much more vulnerable to depression, isolation, and suicide because of the societal rejection that we face. And the Trevor Project is an amazing resource for folks who are really having crisis moments and may need to talk to someone. They have prevented uh, countless folks from self-harming because of the rejection that they face with their LGBTQ identities. And they're also working to ban the dangerous and deadly practice of conversion therapy. There's a movement afoot here in Kentucky to do that too, but the Trevor Project nationally is providing that type of support. So lots of resources for folks. And of course, the Fairness Campaign. Though we are predominantly an advocacy organization, we're the group that you sign up with to find out what's happening in terms of the law, in terms of our rights. Fairness.org is the easy place to sign up to get those email updates and alerts, of course. Okay, so you talked about fairness ordinance. Why is passing an, a fairness ordinance so important to LBGDQ individuals? Unfortunately, it is still legal in most of Kentucky to discriminate against folks who are thought to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. And again, this is about perception. You know, you can't prove that someone's LGBTQ or not. Discrimination occurs based on stereotypical prejudice or perception. And in about 70% of Kentucky, almost, it is still legal to kick someone out of a restaurant, to deny them service at a business, to eject them from a public park or a bus, uh, just for being or being thought to be LGBTQ. That type of discrimination still legal today outside of those 20 municipalities that we've been talking about. Of course, you can find the map of the 20 cities and counties at fairness.org. But outside of those areas, there are no protections in terms of public accommodations. Housing is arguable. You know, the Supreme Court decision recently, the Bostock ruling, which occurred in June, and this is where the Supreme Court determined by a six to three majority uh, with Neil Gorsuch writing the majority opinion that sex discrimination that is currently in employment law does cover people based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So if you're gay, you're lesbian, you're trans, you're bi, you're queer, if someone's discriminating against you for for being LGBTQ, you can, no matter where you live, you can go to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, you can file a workplace discrimination complaint under sex discrimination. Now, arguably, sex discrimination discrimination is included in housing law. This Supreme Court ruling did not explicitly say sex should be interpreted the exact same way in housing law, but it surely will be. So this is going to take probably a couple years for a court case to make it up to the Supreme Court to get a definitive ruling there. But in Kentucky, I do believe that the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights is interpreting sex discrimination in housing to include LGBTQ people as well. Um, And if that is the case, then public accommodations discrimination is still the outstanding discrimination that will not be resolved by interpreting the word sex uh, because sex discrimination is not illegal in public accommodations. Uh, And so that's where you have to add LGBTQ people uh, specifically. Uh, But I will say, you know, because you asked why it's important and it and really the specific question is now, why is it important after the Supreme Court ruling, especially to continue to include employment protections, even though the Supreme Court now interprets federal law to include LGBTQ people? Recently, Cynthiana, I mentioned, passed a human rights ordinance that covers LGBTQ people in housing and public accommodations. And they decided not to include employment because of the Supreme Court ruling. They assumed that those protections were enough. And we really you know, tried to to persuade city leaders 
that they really, if they were going to pass what we would call a fairness ordinance, you really have to have all three areas of protection. And that's because every state and every city, every county that has their own civil rights law, they reiterate all of the federal and state protections as well. So there's no reason not to add additional protections at the state and local level. And one of the key reasons to do it is because the EEOC is a federal agency. It, it can be slow. It can be bureaucratic. If you have a local solution to local problems in a smaller community, you're going to get much more individual attention. You're going to be able to solve cases of discrimination much more easily and, and typically resolve them with mediation in ways that the EEOC likely won't be able to. So it's still so important for the state of Kentucky to pass a statewide fairness law that includes explicitly sexual orientation and gender identity in all three areas, employment, housing, and public accommodations. And for cities in the future, they're going to pass fairness ordinances. They need to continue to include all three areas of protection as well. All right, Chris. So in this morning's paper, the Louisville Courier-Journal, an article penned by Joshua Boat. I don't know if you saw that, but GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, finds many LGBTQ people, in fact, and many non-LGBTQ people believe that federal law covers all the discrimination. Right. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. That's actually, when I was hired at the Fairness Campaign 12 years ago, that was the problem that was most apparent to me, is that we actually, when we surveyed Kentuckians, we found out that the vast majority of Kentuckians support LGBTQ discrimination protections. Uh, that survey 10 years ago indicated 83% of Kentuckians supported those protections, but the majority of people thought they already existed. And that was 10 years ago. So it is in no way a surprise to me uh, that today people are probably more sure that they exist. And now given the Supreme Court's ruling, you know, that makes more sense because now there are some discrimination protections nationwide for LGBTQ people, but not all of them. And sadly, the way that people typically find that out is when they experience discrimination and there's nothing they can do about it. If, if they get turned away at a restaurant for holding their partner's hand. Uh, we had a situation in Richmond, this was several years ago, but a young lesbian couple, um, I believe they were taking maternity photos in a public park and they were told that they had to leave. Uh, this is where people get into contact with us, say, what can I do about it? And in certain situations, we have to unfortunately say nothing except to help us advocate to change the law where you live. Okay. Well, still, you've, you've uh, mentioned so many resources. I'm sure that's a, a, a relief to a lot of people. So uh, thank you for that. So, Chris, you say there are 20 counties in Kentucky. That well, 20 municipalities. So we got municipalities. The, the three counties, arguably, Jefferson, Fayette, of course, Fayette. That is, you know, really by extension of since the city and county are incorporated there. And then Woodford County, which uh, just passed the fairness ordinance just within the past 12 months. Yeah. So the state legislators just passed the statewide fairness ordinance, right? Why oh, is no. I wish. Nope. No heavens, no. <laughs> we are nowhere close. Uh, I wish that we were close to getting a statewide fairness law passed in the Kentucky General Assembly. Why is that? Why is that so important? Well, it's important because, again, we need 70 percent of Kentuckians almost live in a place where some type of LGBTQ discrimination is still legal. Now, this has been one of the, the cornerstones of our work. You know, the reason that we have gone city to city is to bring the conversation home to where state legislators live, because we have always known that a statewide fairness law or a federal 
fairness law called the Equality Act are, are the only solutions. And, and we need both. It may be more likely, depending on how things go on Tuesday and however many days ensue following uh, that we may or may not know the election outcome, if Democrats suddenly control all chambers, including the presidency, I, I guarantee that in the first six months of next year, we'll see the Federal Equality Act. And that will give LGBTQ protections across the board nationwide. Um, and only another act of Congress would then be able to take them away. Now, even if that happens, Kentucky still needs to pass a statewide fairness law it, for the exact same reason that we had the 1964 Civil Rights Act and then we had the 1966 Kentucky Civil Rights Act. Because there is a longstanding tradition that states recognize the importance of civil rights laws and pass their own civil rights laws that they can enforce locally that mirror the federal civil rights laws. But uh, if, if Democrats don't control all the chambers next year, there's still relatively little chance uh, nationwide that we'll get a federal equality act. And there's still you know, virtually no chance that we're going to get a statewide fairness law with the Republicans and the supermajority in both the House and the state Senate here. I will say, I think that if the state House in Kentucky were to vote on a statewide fairness law, behind closed doors, if they were not on the record, we would win the majority of the House and maybe even the Senate. If they were to vote on it on, on record, I actually think that we still would probably get enough votes to pass the Kentucky State House. I believe we have enough allies on both sides of the aisle that support us. However, the, the challenge will always be the Kentucky Senate. It's much more conservative on these issues. Um, you know, There is momentum behind banning the practice of conversion therapy which I mentioned earlier. And Republicans have helped introduce these bills. And the Republican-led Interim Joint Committee on Licensing and Occupations just had a hearing on it about a month and a half, two months ago uh, in Frankfurt. Now, that was only for information purposes, but it's historic that that happened. And so this is really going to be a litmus test if we can muster the support to pass a conversion therapy ban in the state Senate. That would be a huge step forward for LGBTQ civil rights in Kentucky. And, and that's probably the lowest threshold in terms of can we get some support for any LGBTQ civil rights law in Kentucky. And if we can get a conversion therapy ban passed, then I have great faith that we can get a statewide fairness law passed in the next maybe five years. But but, you know, I still have my doubts that even we can get support in the full Senate or specifically Senate leadership for a conversion therapy ban. So we do have a Democratic governor and Andy Mature. Mm -hmm. So you're telling us, Chris, that the Republicans in the House anyway, maybe the Senate also, would support LBGT legislation except for the fact that their constituents do not support it. Well, yes, we have. Of course, that's no surprise. We have a lot of that going on in terms of social issues uh, in both Frankfurt and in Washington, D.C., where legislators' own personal views are completely eclipsed by the views that they perceive their constituency to have. Yes, we have many more supporters in Frankfurt who will then who will go on the record as supporters in Frankfurt. Uh, yet, I mean, the, the indication of some degree of softness in Frankfurt on LGBTQ issues is the fact that we have not become the next North Carolina. 
Several years ago, North Carolina passed a really egregious anti-LGBTQ law that targeted transgender people. And we have faced similar laws, many of them. This year, we had five anti-trans laws alone introduced in the Kentucky General Assembly. We've stopped every one of them. And we can only do that with Republican leadership and Republican support. Um, So there is definitely an evolution, you know, where 10 years ago, these bills probably would have really had legs and started moving. Uh, But the really explicit anti-LGBTQ laws are being held at bay by a number of Republicans in the state. But that's always a very delicate balance, and, and it could be tipped at any point. Okay. If the statewide fairness ordinance is not possible in in the coming election cycle, what counties or areas does fairness campaign target? Right. Uh, That's a great question. And I've gotten it in the past, much to our opposition's chagrin. I can't say that we target certain areas because I think it would probably be easier for them to figure out where we're going next if we were strategically targeting. Uh, But the reality is that areas target themselves. Typically, the way that a fairness ordinance gets passed is that someone in a local community will reach out to us and say, hey, uh, we've been talking about this. I've talked to my city commissioner. How do we get this started? And really, it's it's a grassroots effort. Now, the two areas where we've had very public campaigns because there's huge grassroots support are two of um, our biggest cities, our third and fourth largest cities in the state, Owensboro and Bowling Green, which have had massive movements for fairness ordinances that have failed a number of times. And so this is where we've invested a lot of resources uh, and we've endorsed candidates that are running for city commission in both Bowling Green and Owensboro so that we can get to the three vote threshold that we need in both cities to ultimately pass a fairness ordinance. In Bowling Green, we have two out of five votes. So we just need one more to to get to the three on the city commission there. Uh, In Owensboro, it's maybe a little more tenuous, but but we had um, a tie vote on a fairness ordinance countywide in Davis County. So we're inching closer in those two areas. I hope that this election cycle is going to usher in a supportive city commission in both cities, and we could add 21 and 22 in terms of municipalities with fairness ordinances early next year. Okay. So in terms of getting the word out, fairness campaign has always set up a booth in the Kentucky State Fair. (laughs) COVID has knocked out the Kentucky State Fair. No booth, no fairness booth. So how does fairness compensate for that missed opportunity? Well, sadly, like so many other groups, there's no way to get back the year 2020 and potentially going into 2021. Um, You know, you're right. That's where we connect with thousands of Kentuckians, many of whom we've never connected with before. The State Fair is an amazing opportunity to do that. The State Fair is also the opportunity that we take each year to protest the Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance Company and their 501c4 lobbying arm, the Kentucky Farm Bureau Federation, which is the largest anti-LGBTQ lobbying firm in the state of Kentucky. And they also lobby against reproductive freedom. They lobby for uh, capital punishment. Uh, They lobby against unionized labor and against our teachers. So many things wrong with them. And so we, that is really where we get our message out about uh, the discriminatory policies of the Kentucky Farm Bureau. Uh, This year, uh, without the ability to be at the state fair in person, we opted to take a billboard out on I-65 and let all of Louisville know as they headed down to the fairgrounds 
uh, that the Kentucky Farm Bureau is indeed big on discrimination. And so, you know, we've, we've got tried to get as creative as we can, um, like all other organizations. But yeah, we, you know, the big thing we missed out on really were pride festivals this year. We, we get more interaction now because there are 25 pride festivals across the Commonwealth of Kentucky than we do at the State Fair, arguably. And this is the first time that, of course, we haven't had any of those festivals. We've moved many of them online. Uh, Bowling Green Pride is one of the prides that uh, the Fairness Campaign helps produce. Uh, and so we had to produce an entirely virtual pride uh, this year, which, you know, was not impossible, but is not the same. You need that sense of community. People want to be together, uh, but it's so important to be safe and healthy at home. And, and we get that. And we want to make Governor Andy proud. Well, how does that uh, how does that change uh, things going into the future? Will you continue to use the, uh, the uh, media in mm-hmm. more ways? Well, social media, especially, you know, for nonprofits, some of uh, not having the physical events has opened up, loosened the budget for, you know, say digital advertising. I'm sure everybody's dead tired of being served political ads in general. But we, you know, have utilized social media um, and paid advertising more to reach people, um, especially when important things are happening. We've been talking about conversion therapy. I haven't mentioned that Louisville uh, became the second city to ban conversion therapy uh, recently in Kentucky. And we utilized a lot of social media to engage constituents in Louisville to send messages to their council members. And we had a nearly unanimous vote on that, a 24 to 1 vote. If you'd have told me when I got hired that we'd have nearly unanimous passage of LGBTQ rights laws uh, at the Metro Council level, I I just wouldn't have believed you because I wouldn't have thought that all of the Republicans almost were, were on board. But times have changed. And people's engagement, I mean, this is one thing that we have seen is that people do have more time now now, to a degree, not everybody, but some folks we found have more time to engage in advocacy opportunities. And so we have seen some increased level of engagement in terms of people sending those messages to their representatives or engaging in these sorts of campaigns, making the phone calls. Well, you mentioned yeah. so many cancellations. A gay pride parade was also canceled. That was a, another missed opportunity for fairness oh, yeah. as uh, in the city of Louisville. How does fairness get the word out in the middle of the worldwide pandemic? Well, you know, again, we're engaging in, uh, we've all certainly become Facebook Live experts. Um, We're all using the different, you know, studio softwares to be able to mix those things. During Pride Month, we did a a virtual celebration of marriage equality. You know, it's been five years since the Supreme Court ruled that LGBTQ marriage is legal all across America. So we engaged all of the plaintiff couples that were on that case to join us in a Facebook Live forum. And just this week, we did a Facebook Live candidate forum where we invited both major party Senate candidates to chat with us on LGBTQ issues. Perhaps not to many people's surprise, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell did not uh, respond uh, to participate, but uh, Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath did join us and we had a, a great Facebook Live discussion with our election organizers. You know, we're continuing to connect with people uh, and, you know, to some degree physically because we have encouraged people and I have certainly been out participating in the protests for the Black Lives Matter movement to protest the murder of Breonna Taylor and David McAtee and so many black Americans that we've lost to police violence all across the nation, but right here at home. And, you know, we've spent, frankly, we spent most of Pride Month protesting uh, for Black Lives Matter. Uh, And 
Honestly, it would not have felt appropriate to have a large pride celebration or a large uh, pride march um, without justice for Breonna Taylor and without that resolution. Um, so I'm actually, in some ways, glad that we didn't have to to face you know that that difficulty in that moment. And yet, I do feel that that if those things had gone forward with the pandemic aside, that I believe the leadership of the Pride Foundations here would have shifted a lot of the message. Uh, for pride to justice for Breonna Taylor. And there was already some work when we still thought that we might be able to have a parade to make that a Black Lives Matter parade. So, you know, we missed out on a lot, but also there has been so much going on here locally and nationally that pride, while important, really does need to take a back seat to the crisis for racial justice in the Black Lives Matter movement right now. Yeah, so you mentioned justice for Breonna Taylor in that movement that's now occurring in local cities all across the country, really. So the demonstrations have lasted over 150 days. Right. So a fairness campaign is a question you kind of answered, but does a fairness campaign have a position to the Justice for Breonna Taylor movement? Yep, 100%. Um, we are... 100% backing the demands that Tamika Palmer and Breonna Taylor's family have have asked for in terms of police reforms. We absolutely are appalled at the way that Attorney General Daniel Cameron has gone about really seeking injustice in the Breonna Taylor case. I am flabbergasted at the lawsuit that the detective who was uh, shot by Brianna's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, filed this week. I mean... (laughs) The insensitivity of of so much of the city's response. Yeah, I'm talking about Sergeant, I guess that Sergeant Mattingly filed the lawsuit, you know, claiming incredible damages from Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, who, from all the evidence we know very clearly, was simply defending his home. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we could not be more behind seeking justice for Breonna Taylor. We have really sort of been uncompromising in holding some of our city leaders to account. In a very rare move, uh, the Fairness Campaign and our Political Action Committee put out a sharp letter criticizing Mayor Fisher for both the response to Brianna's murder uh, and the peaceful protests that emerged in the days and weeks and now months. Following that decision, we have not been impressed uh, with the way that the city and our police force um, have handled these situations. And we've got a lot of healing to do. Obviously, we believe in taking the lead of Black Louisvillians who are most harmed and affected, not just by this, but by systems of race, racism that have been in place in this city and in America since time immemorial. Um, and so we will continue to support those movements however we can. There was a Courier-Journal article published on August uh, 7th this, this year uh, by Morgan Watkins. It agrees that the justice for Brianna demonstrations have been mostly peaceful, the exception of the first, uh, first couple of nights of video. You know, we witnessed, uh, photographed a lot of, uh, by WOKY, WAVE, uh, WHAS. That demonstrates the protests have been, by and large, peaceful. There, there's been some violence evidenced by the killing bystander of Dr. Tyler Girth. It was June 27th. Does the fairness campaign have a position on the violence versus peace demonstrations and, and what would that be? Well, what I'll say is that when, when the city sets up for a war zone, that is the energy that they are bringing. 
every time I and I was down there the very first night uh, that protests took over the Second Street Bridge and was down there every night for the first several weeks. And the only group that I saw come with violence and aggression was the Louisville Metro Police Department, the Kentucky State Police, and at the point that that federal officers came in them as well. Um, That showing up in a militarized, unified force just is asking for for some type of response. Uh, And so... You know, certainly, yes, don't, you know, we we shouldn't be damaging property, but I don't care very much about that compared to the loss of life and the systems of racism and violence. The the breaking of windows um, is symbolic. Um, This is, and look, this type of protesting, while people may may be offended by it or, you know, who knows, is effective. Um, This is what unfortunately, will make people pay attention that thing, the status quo cannot continue, that if black and brown Americans are not treated with dignity and respect, are not protected from violence against people in uniforms, this is absolutely the result that city leaders should expect. And, you know, I'm not out there breaking windows, um, but I'm not disparaging the folks who have, because I absolutely understand why they have done it. And that is part of protest as well. And, And let me remind folks that were it not for black and brown transgender women throwing bricks and bottles at police officers at the Stonewall Inn in 1969, we wouldn't have any LGBTQ civil rights today. So to act like, and particularly queer folks and white queer folks or white gay folks, um, to to act like this is not a tool to fight oppression um, or this should not somehow be a part of this conversation is absolutely ignoring our hard-fought history and everything that has been built upon it. Yeah, well, I expect Chris, I expect they're going to get some feedback, or you know, um, on that, you know, because we can't ignore the small businesses that are that are uh, affected by that. So we have to have some compassion for them. But yeah, what do you, you say can fix a broken, people? you can fix a broken window. If somebody breaks a window at the fairness campaign, and trust me, it's happened before, not while I've been there, but in the past, um, yeah. you call your insurance company and you get it fixed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the big deal is uh, about it. I, yeah, I don't want to see people's businesses. Um, incur financial damages, but but the reality is you've seen a lot of business owners who have had damage to their their property, damage to their buildings. Say, look, this in no way is to be compared to the violence that Black and Brown Americans have suffered, and and we will we can fix our windows. We cannot bring Breonna Taylor back. We cannot bring David McEntee back. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery. I mean, everybody. There are too many names to remember now. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna set up a memorial for a broken window. <laughs> I mean, I get it. This is a complicated conversation, you know? Yours will. Yeah. 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 So let's change directions here a little bit. In a Joel Garth Courage Journal Community Forum article entitled, quote, Catholics, it's okay to vote for Biden, end quote, published October 29th, the day, 2020, Joel Garth explains the Catholic hierarchy is now giving Catholics permission to 
issues like honesty, sustainable environment, the care and safety of immigrants, as well as health care issues, should be considered while deciding who to support in upcoming elections. So, Chris Hartman, you're you're Catholic. What's the fairness position on the change in the stance of the Catholic bishops when it comes to considering abortion and gay marriage? Recovering Catholic, let's say. Um, you know, I haven't been practicing for a long time, and, and that's because of the disenfranchisement that I and all sorts of other people have felt from the Catholic Church and and Catholic hierarchy, not Catholic laity. I think anybody that has ever been Catholic or has participated in uh, the Catholic community knows that there has always been massive schisms between, you know, your archbishops, your cardinals, the Pope, um, and the folks who are in the pews, um, who really are the church, not all of the opulence that surrounds the hierarchy. Uh, these are great moves that the church is making. Uh, you know, Pope Francis, of course, every time something positive comes out that Pope Francis says, uh, there's sort of a walk back a week and a half later. Well, the translation isn't 100% there. Well, it's a little out of context. But very recently, yes, we got Pope Francis more or less endorsing that there should be some type of legal recognition for same-sex couples, a civil union, something not on the level of marriage, which, you know, no one would expect the Catholic Church right now to, to take that position. But I, if you'd have told me in my lifetime that I'd see a Catholic Pope more or less give a nod to the idea that there should be a legal recognition of same-sex unions, I would have never believed you. This is the Pope who has uh, said, who am I to judge in relation to LGBTQ people? It's talked about the inherent dignity of LGBTQ people and that there's nothing wrong with them. Unfortunately, I don't think that this has changed the church's stance that if you are LGBTQ, you typically, I believe that their position is that you really have to be abstinent, um, that they consider the the sin to be the act of same-sex, you know, physical intimacy, uh, and that as long as you are celibate, that, uh, you know, somehow you can you can be accepted that way. Now, again, Pope Francis talking about civil unions is moving in a, in a very different direction there. Clearly, the church has not moved virtually at all on re- productive freedom. Um, however, you know, s- seeing some of the hierarchy point to the humanity and the dignity that a candidate like Joe Biden brings to the table, as opposed to, you know, what we've seen for the past four years and for the decades before on Celebrity Apprentice and in the courtroom with uh, the Donald, all of that, um, you know, th- this is, again, a move in the right direction to signal from the hierarchy. But look, the Catholic laity was already okay with supporting social justice issues and candidates that support social justice issues. So this is, uh, you know, just sort of the Catholic hierarchy catching up and saying, Lord, if we're going to keep people in the pews, we're going to have to start. And that's the way that the church has always moved. The people in the pews move first. Some of them leave before the church finally moves itself. And then the church moves itself, usually too little too late. But, um, you know, at least it's going in the right direction. You know, I'm a product of uh, 16 years of Catholic education. I got eight years of Catholic uh, grade school and then and four years of Catholic high school, and then four years of Catholic university. Uh, and so I'm well steeped in the church and in uh, the community. And yeah, it, you know, the community has always just been brilliant. And then the, the hierarchy is like, where, who are these people? 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're running close to the end of the uh, presidential election to 2020 and uh, the Senate race as well. Uh, Mitch McConnell is being opposed by Amy McGrath. Uh, she says uh, she agrees with the Supreme Court's decision to uphold same-sex marriage. McConnell disagrees with the Supreme Court. Why does the Fairness Campaign support the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage? Well, that's a no-brainer for us. Um, we, you know, we believe that uh, we deserve equal justice under the law uh, and equal rights under the law. And that's exactly what, um, you know, the majority opinion in that Supreme Court ruling in Obergefell v. Hodges has said. So 100% we agree with that. You know, it's it's frightening, uh, the recent appointment to the Supreme Court of Amy Coney Barrett, who has longstanding ties uh, with anti-LGBTQ organizations, among many other things. Obviously, reproductive choice is the focal point, but there is a whole domino of issues that will fall as they start coming to the court now that there is a six to three conservative majority. So while I mentioned earlier there was a six to three majority opinion on the employment discrimination for LGBTQ people, so that decision is safe, but it was a five to four ruling on marriage and a different court at that point in time. So now I think that you have a six to three majority against same-sex marriage. I mean, maybe in a surprise, maybe a Kavanaugh um, or, or Gorsuch uh, would, you know, would maybe join uh, in support of marriage, but then you're still going to have five to four uh, against. Uh, I don't see a way around that marriage is under threat for LGBTQ folks, as are so many other social justice issues. It's why this election is incredibly important. Uh, there are, I think at the time that we were working on marriage, like everyone was, I think the estimation was almost 1,200 automatic benefits that come to a married couple um, under the law in, in the United States. And so a uh, threat to marriage is a threat to those 1,200 rights and privileges that are afforded married couples in the U.S. that LGBTQ couples can currently enjoy, but do not feel safe in, in knowing that that will exist forever right now. Sadly, my social media feed is now riddled with people seeking out ministers who can marry them um, or uh, people saying, look, I'm a minister. I can marry you if you want to get married quickly because everyone is afraid that their marriage is in peril. Now, I will say folks should not you know, you probably don't need to feel like you need to get married in the next six months. Uh, it's going to take time if there is an erosion of marriage at the Supreme Court, but maybe not that much time. Um, so, you know, it's not going to happen in the next two or three months, but certainly down the line, it is possible. Um, if not, if not an outright attack on the union of, uh, on the institution of marriage, again, an erosion of civil rights protections uh, for LGBTQ people. The, the big LGBTQ case that's before the court right now is a, I believe it's a Philadelphia case where the question is whether or not a Catholic social services agency can deny adoption and fostering to LGBTQ parents and still get the majority of its funding from the state and federal government. And that's going to come before the Supreme Court. I mean, it's at the Supreme Court. It's going to come before Amy Coney Barrett and the other justices. And I don't believe that we're going to win. I, I believe that that's going to be a ruling that says even married LGBTQ couples can still be denied by foster and adoptive agencies if they have a religious affiliation, regardless of whether or not 90 percent of their funding comes from the government. But, Chris, the, the Supreme Court has made a decision on same-sex marriage. So isn't that established law now? How can, how can it... <laughs> 
How can they change? It's, it? it's established until the Supreme Court decides otherwise. I mean, yes, I, I, I am not betting that marriages will be completely unraveled. That's not my bet. But will will there be rulings in the future that decide to treat LGBTQ marriages and couples differently uh, than opposite sex marriages and couples? Yes, I absolutely believe that those cases are coming, and they're already there. Okay. So, Chris, you mentioned uh, your advocacy for civil rights for African-American people. What other issues besides LGBTQ rights are important to Chris Harmon? Sure. Well, and to the Fairness Campaign. We, I, I share yeah. pretty much all of the, the same beliefs, and it's all about intersectionality. We have fought for immigrants' rights. We've fought for religious freedom. You know, we push back against the, the hateful, discriminatory Muslim ban at the beginning of Trump's administration. You know, disability rights. Uh, all of these are things that we care about. Now, sadly, we you know we don't have the capacity to go out and be the the leading advocate voice on every issue. Um, but whenever folks ask us to show up in support or to support something that is connected to racial justice or social justice, uh, we are always willing to lend whatever resources we can and have. You know, and I try to find moments that are strategic. When Mayor Greg Fisher signed the conversion therapy ban into law, that was an opportunity for us to go and actually call for the the charges to be dropped against State Representative Attica Scott, who'd been arrested with felony charges for protesting. So I try to be creative where, you know, we get invited into spaces to talk about LGBTQ rights, to celebrate LGBTQ victories. Um, and I try to take some of those opportunities to call attention to issues of racial justice or immigrants' rights or, or whatever um, is a topical issue at that moment. Um, because I think some folks, many folks do still view the Fairness Campaign as a solely LGBTQ civil rights organization. And, and we want to make certain that folks know that we have a broad platform of social justice issues that we support. Again, we may not be the leader on all of them, um, but we are, are certainly in support and want to show allyship in whatever ways we can. Yeah, yeah you, you and Carla Wallace were on a previous program with us, and, and you explained then, I think now, that why it took three years to convince uh, Louisville Metro Council to, to pass the Fairness Ordinance. It had to do with coalition building, mm-hmm. if I'm not right. The Justice for Brianna movement wants change. For example, they like to see Metro government establish Citizens Against Police Abuse, mm-hmm. a review board. Uh, that's mm-hmm. CAPA, I believe is what they call it. And uh, it's going to take a coalition, or is it, to convince the uh, Metro Council to pass the CAPA? I think that we'll have broad support on the council for the police accountability board. I actually served on the the work group uh, for the creation of the ordinance that will ultimately establish the police citizens review board. It's not perfect as it is, uh, and and there's going to be opportunity for folks to try to push their council members further on some of the aspects of the ordinance that's going to be introduced. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought that the process to develop it, um, while again not perfect, did bring together a fairly broad coalition of folks from the Urban League, from ACLU of Kentucky. Obviously, Fairness was there. Um, I think Kentucky Alliance was not there at the beginning, uh, but uh, was brought in when they realized that, that folks were missing. You know, there were a lot of folks, you know, pushing to make that ordinance better. Uh, absolutely, it's going to take coalition building, though, to to change the culture 
in the city. Uh, you know, even if we get this Citizens Police Review Board passed, it's not going to solve all the problems. It, it's it's a cultural change. And unfortunately, it's the cultural change in law enforcement that has to happen. And that's going to take a broad coalition to push, you know, some of your more moderate council members to, you know, to really hold the police accountable for the wrongs that they have done. But, you know, this is the moment to make it happen. Uh, there's never been a broader coalition. There's never been more white people engaged in the work of racial justice. And uh, anybody that's out there that's listening that isn't, you know, on board yet or hasn't really been engaging, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to show up and and lend whatever voice you have to helping support Black folks uh, and the demands that they are that they are asking for. Uh, because only Black Louisvillians know uh, what the experience has been like here with with law enforcement and with city leadership. And we've got to believe them. We've got to trust them. We've got to support initiatives. A civil yeah. fairness campaign does support the police review board. There are a lot of uh, things that are being written now. There's a book called Bleeding Out that has uh, a whole regimen of how violence can be targeted in certain areas and 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 brought under you know control, not necessarily by the police, but by uh, a coalition, as you, as you say. Mm-hmm. So what uh, conflicts and violence have you had in your own life? And, and uh, if you're willing to co- discuss those, you, uh, what you've you had to, con- uh, to confront and decisions that help you resolve those, those issues? Sure. You know, I'm, I've been very fortunate that, that violence has not played a large role uh, in my life. You know, as I reflect over my time at the Fairness Campaign, there have been some incidents. Of course, at the Fairness Campaign, one of the first things I saw when I was hired there was the, call it a brick, but it was more of a stone, really, that was on top of, of one of the desks in the office. I think it just had a like a mailing sticker on it that said um, "hate crime evidence." Do do not throw away, and it was the the stone that came through the fairness uh, window office uh, at some point in the nineties. I haven't had instances like that necessarily, but um, when I was, we have a big ACLU fairness dinner every year. It used to be at the Ali Center, and I believe it was 2012. American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah, ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. And I believe it was at the Ali Center at that point, uh, 2012. I came outside and I, I noticed that it um, looked like my car had been sideswiped. Uh, my side view mirror was dangling off, so I called the police. And uh, after I called the police, I, I noticed I went around to the back of my car. I had a lot of bumper stickers on my car at that point, uh, some Obama, some fairness campaign. And I, I, I assumed that it was connected, that whoever sideswiped the car also did uh, draw swastikas on the bumper stickers, you know, d- deface them in different ways. And that, you know, that was an obvious hate crime and felt like an obvious threat. Now, I don't believe it was targeted uh, towards me, uh, because there was no way necessarily to know it was my car, unless you know that I at that time drove that car with all those bumper stickers. But I think it was a you know clear act of violence meant to intimidate, you know whoever they thought owned the car that they assumed was LGBTQ or uh, you know liberal leaning or supported progressive policies. Similarly, at the fairness campaign, we one time a few years ago had an incident where somebody just kind of ran into the campaign and said something, used some expletives. Um, And so I exited the building and sort of followed them a bit and ended up pushing me uh, in the neighboring coffee shop parking lot. It was all a very strange incident. Ultimately, we, you know, we did not pursue charges against the individual, but we found out who they were and 
you know, there, there was unfortunately a, a trail of violence that had followed them in terms of law enforcement. I think one of them had, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. There was a trail of violence that followed them. So, so I've, you know, experienced some degree of violence, um, but certainly not what, what many others have. Sadly, in my position, what more often uh, I've encountered are folks sharing past stories of violence with me, particularly trans friends and allies who have been victims of physical and sexual assault, violence against our LGBTQ community, but particularly against our black transgender community is through the roof. And the number of murders each year of a predominantly black transgender women is staggering every year. And so this is the type of community violence that I see unfortunately, on a very regular basis. I have, a, you know, many compounding privileges in the world. I um, am white. Um, I'm perceived as male. I have height privilege. There are all sorts of reasons why I do not believe that I have been subjected to the type of violence that too many of our community members have been. Yeah, but it partially depends on how you define violence. If you define yeah. violence as having men tossed out of your apartment because of your Absolutely. gender or not allowed to attend mm-hmm. a restaurant or a movie because of your yeah. gender, Jamie and I see that as a form of violence. Absolutely. And let me tell you, every LGBTQ person has those types of stories. And I don't know a single person in my life that hasn't been called out the window of a car and had something thrown at them. And that happened most recently to me in Bowling Green about a year ago, a year and a half ago. You know, some some young people drove by and just yelled inexplicative get out the window and threw a, a cup of soda at us. Uh, that is a remarkably common experience that LGBTQ people wouldn't even, you know, necessarily include. Uh, would, you know, I'd, I think that we we have experienced so much more community trauma that, that the smaller traumas, while they add up and compound, uh, don't even make it on, our, on a lot of our radars. Is there anything else that you want to share? No, not necessarily. I'm, I'm just always glad to connect. You know, Fairness is most active on social media. If you follow our Facebook page and our Twitter account, Instagram to Fairness Campaign, we'll, you'll be up to date on everything that's going on. Okay. So, Chris Hartman, you have accomplished quite a bit in the name of fairness. You've garnered considerable recognition from local mainland media as well as some national recognition. So, what's your personal future like? What's your plans? Where do you go from here? It's uh, one day at a time, one step in front of the other. You know, I, I can't say that I've ever had that long term plan except to, you know, keep on doing the work that I'm passionate about and that I care about. I can't say that I thought I'd be at Fairness for 12 years when I was hired, but here we are and the work doesn't seem near finished. You know, I think that I would move on to something else if I felt like the majority of our work were done. Maybe if the election goes a certain way and we start seeing a flood of equal rights protections across the board, that may start feeling a little more like it's time to look at something else. But as it stands, you know, helping advance the work of the Fairness campaign and continuing to to build and expand on that um, is what's in my immediate future. And, and I'm excited to keep on trucking. So you don't see yourself as a Kentucky Pete Ludacek. You're not going to run for president or <laughs> U.S. Senate or something. You know, you, you never you never put anything off the table. 
<laughs> nothing, no, no high offices like that. You know, at some point in time, if it feels appropriate, you know, maybe we'll consider something like that. But I, I tell you, it's that's something like that's a long way off. And I've got great representatives where I live. You know, that's another thing. You know, know who your representatives are. And um, so, you know, maybe when somebody announces a retirement, we can have that conversation. Okay, fair enough. Listeners, we're out of time, unfortunately. Our guest today has been Chris Hartman. Chris Hartman is the director of the Global Fairness Campaign. Our programs are aired on Monday at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. You can listen live, streaming by visiting our website, forwardradio.org, and clicking on Listen Live Now. The Solutions to Violence program that features Chris Hartman will be placed in our archives on Wednesday, November 4th. To listen via our archives, just visit our website at forwardradio.org, scroll down to Program Archives, and scroll down then to Solutions to Violence programs that features Chris. For more information and a schedule of programming that may surprise you and delight you, visit our forwardradio.org and click on Broadcast Schedule. You may respond to us with your thoughts and suggestions by visiting us at Solutions to Violence, 18 at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. For now, I'm Jamie McMillan, and my co-host is Jim Johnson. Thank you for listening.